Hey everyone, welcome to episode 42 of the Switch Focus podcast. Uh, I was going to take this opportunity to use it to take the mick out of Ginny a little bit for calling it episode 1 last week, but she's unfortunately absent with internet problems. We'll be splicing some of her bits in throughout the show. Uh, with me though is Andrew Brown. Uh, how are you mate? How's this week going for you? Pretty well, how's yours? Pretty good. Uh, I understand your new kitty settling in okay. Yeah, she's doing fine. Uh, so let's get straight on to it. Updates from the previous episode. Uh, I spent last weekend at uh, Avcon. Uh, I usually sort of spend money on some nerdy junk. I did not, so I treated myself to some Switch games. Uh, picked up Lumens. Sorry, Lumines. However you want to pronounce that one. Uh, I Lumines. Yeah, that's how I think it should be, but... The internet tells me I'm wrong, as they usually do. The internet is wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah, so we'll talk about that shortly. Also picked up Hollow Knight, but I haven't got onto that one yet. Saving that one for a bit later. Uh, Yeah, I suck at saving money. So Uh, so let's uh, get on and talk about the latest Switch news. Still a little quiet on the Switch news front at the moment, but uh, pre-orders for Nintendo Switch Online have gone up on Amazon with the September release date. Gotta wonder how it affects things. we got a question here about how it affects the free online games such as Fortnite Paladins and Arena of Valor. Also thinking about Warframe as well. Uh, I saw something... A Twitter interaction with you actually today, where uh, someone said that the free game should be unaffected. Should be, <laughs> like I, I'm looking at the Nintendo Switch Online Service FAQ right now, and this is the extent of the information that's available from this official sources. Which games require a Nintendo Switch Online membership to access online play? Nintendo games such as Splatoon 2, ARMS, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, Mario Tennis Aces, and Sushi Strikers The Way of Sushido will require a Nintendo Switch online membership, but other games will vary. And the next question is, how can I tell if a game requires a Nintendo Switch online membership for online play? Answer, we will share information on this topic at a later date. So... You know, other people, I'm sure, are completely confident that they're not going to be affected at all. Myself... I'm a little concerned that with as well as the free games have been doing on the Switch, especially Fortnite, there's going to be a lot of people logging on in September and finding that they can't play anymore. Like Their wording is very vague, and it sounds like it could be up to the developer whether they decide to join in on on the online service thing, which that just causes confusion all around for everyone, I, I think. Um, I'm not sure how the free-to-play stuff works on PS4 or Xbox, though, for that matter. I'm I'm pretty sure there are some that you don't require PS Plus or mm. or Gold subscription for. So, the only one I know for sure is Fantasy Star Online on Xbox 360 doesn't actually require a Gold subscription. But this is information I should have looked up <laughs> before getting into this discussion. But ah, Sony, Microsoft, who cares about them? Yeah, Nintendo. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so it'd be interesting to see how that affects things, and if they've got anything else up their sleeve for like service features, I guess. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a direct fairly soon that's going to start covering all this stuff, and to announce those uh, games they say they've got for this year but haven't talked about yet, so we'll keep uh, an eye out for that one. 
today, time to talk about what we've been playing this week. Uh, Paladins is now officially free to play on Switch. It wasn't before. Uh, you had to pay 45 bucks for the Founders Pack, which I think gave you access to all the characters and maybe some of the in-game currencies. Uh, I had a quick look this week. Uh, it's a pretty solid FPS game. Uh, cues from the Overwatch series with... Well, they call it like a, a hero shooter, I guess. Um, yeah, I call it an objective-based team shooter, but sure, same thing. Yeah, I'd, I'd go with that. It's uh, it's not really any different to some of the older objective-based shooters, but uh, it's free to play. You get five free characters, uh, one of each class, basically, and then you, you have to sort of purchase the rest either with real-world money or you can earn in-game currency. Uh, now, the, the thing that struck me... First of all, and we'll get into the nitty gritty of this shortly, but the it has a battle pass set up that at first glance looks exactly like the one from Fortnite, uh, to the point where I had to like stop a second and just Google just to make sure it wasn't the same developers. Uh, just how it appears in the menu and the the structuring of it, just that, that initial look was almost identical. Uh, you've delved a bit closely, a bit more closely into this and. It's pretty different, I guess. It's more more about getting uh, currency kickbacks, I think you were saying. Yeah, like Fortnite just has V-Bucks. That's the only currency in Fortnite that you have to deal with, and it's all an exchange rate for real-world money. Uh, but Paladins has gold that you can earn in-game, and it actually isn't too difficult to earn gold because you get some for playing each match, and you also get some for finishing daily quests. Basically, it works like daily quests in in MOBAs. Uh, so it's it takes some effort, but it's not impossible to unlock additional characters just by earning gold in-game without paying for the battle pass. But if you do pay for the battle pass, it opens up a lot more currencies for you that you can earn. You can earn crystals, which are like the equivalent of a premium real-world money, but it also showers you with a lot more gold, so it's a lot easier to buy things if you want to. And it also, through the battle pass, you unlock a lot of loot boxes, which give you random things from preset pools depending upon the quality of the loot box, and that's really the primary difference between Paladin's battle pass and Fortnite's battle pass, is because the things you earn in Fortnite are very specific for where you're at in the battle pass. Uh, so if you're like at level 30 on the season battle pass, you have the same things as everybody else at level 30 does. But in Paladins, you've got some currency and you've got some loot box. So there's a little less prestige with what you've unlocked there because it's all based on RNG. So that has different strengths and weaknesses to it. I think if you don't care about battle passes, I think Paladins might feel like a better game for you for that reason because it's focusing more on just the game itself. But if you're a person like me who likes unlocking things and showing them off, I think Fortnite uh, is giving you more bang for your buck there. Yeah, for sure. So all I've done in it so far is basically do the training modes, and I've I've played a couple of uh, real-world matches. Uh, for some reason, it's just been putting me into team deathmatch games at the moment, which I'm I'm really enjoying. I, di- I didn't think they would be a good fit for the, the hero shooter genre, but it seems to work pretty well. Uh, now... In terms of the characters themselves, the ones that are currently free, I've sort of gravitated towards Victor. So he's basically uh, just a normal standard FPS shooter guy, I guess. Uh, He's got a machine gun, uh, he's there to deal the damage and get in the thick of it. 
as I come from a background of more typical shooters, he sort of felt like the best transitional character for me to, to get into it. I tried playing as a tank. I can't remember his name, but it was like an elf in a, a mech suit. It's probably Ruckus. Yeah, that, that sounds right. Uh, I didn't quite get the hang of it. I kept dying really quickly, uh, even using his shield and dodging mechanics. But I'll experiment the other types when I sort of get my head around some of the other modes as well, I think, because I think that's where that those sorts of differences are really going to come into the gameplay. Uh, what characters have you sort of found yourself using mostly? I've mostly found myself using Genos, who is the support character who is given away free to everybody who plays paladins uh he's basically like a floating wizard guy who can do healing over time which is really nice and his gun is actually pretty good too i've been pretty happy with my ability to deal damage and to kill things with him whereas like comparing him to say mercy in overwatch like i I don't even worry about killing things with her just healing people so there's a little bit more of a combat focus there with him but there are still a lot of support characters i haven't even tried yet some of them might be a fully focused healer i don't know and i also tried ruckus who is a, a goblin in like this sentient mech suit uh and he runs around in his mech suit and he's got chain guns on there and he has a shield he can activate uh yeah he's a He's D.Va from Overwatch. <laughs> First thing I thought when I saw him was like, yeah. he's a goblin D.Va. Yeah. A lot of the characters in this are really derivative, but th- this really is, even though the matches are based on Overwatch, there's a Team Death match, which Overwatch has just recently introduced and hasn't been very popular from what I've been reading, but there's also Payload and King of the Hill maps, which are taken straight out of Overwatch. Uh, but the way the characters work is really more like a MOBA because you do have to buy them you have to customize them and there's things you can buy for them in every map and the more you play as a character the better perks you unlock for them so it's, it's got a whole unlock system there that I find really engaging because I like things like that that if you've played a MOBA like Dota 2 League of Legends Heroes of the Storm this stuff will be really familiar to you because it's pretty much the exact same system as in those games just behind the scenes i i we had a a discussion where you were probably using me to soundboard out your feelings about paladins and how you want to try and balance it with Fortnite. yeah that's a thing uh, i do when i'm trying to uh, work something out is i'll have a conversation with myself and i'll make another person sit there and pretend to be listening <laughs> to what i'm saying <laughs> but it usually works it, it's funny because i uh i i totally recognize that stress in myself but for other things like backlogs and trying to like plan out how i'm gonna fit things in so i completely get where you're coming from with that um for me i think it's kind of it's a nice compliment to fortnite i think i reckon i'd play fortnite more just because i don't tend to rely want to rely on teams anymore in these these days but it's definitely a good compliment i think uh, I can see myself definitely spending time with paladins. Uh, just, I think I'm gonna have to add in like a an online multiplayer night and just split my time between the two of them. Yeah, I'm kind of two minds about them because they offer very different things. Like Fortnite, I enjoy, uh, but the things I enjoy in Fortnite are not the things that I enjoy in Paladins. Uh, Fortnite, I enjoy exploring the map, and I like the weekly challenges because some of them are about killing enemies, but most of them are actually about exploring the island 
and accomplishing things there. And I really enjoy that. Like every week, there's always some new treasure map that's been introduced that you have to first find the map, then find out what area of the island the map is referring to. And also this week, they added five like skeet shooting devices around the map and you had to find them all and successfully shoot a skeet out of it and that would complete that challenge just these things that encourage you to interact with the environment and learn about the environment that fortnite takes place in rather than just shooting people because i can do that in pretty much any game so i really enjoy that about fortnite and really like with the combat in fortnite it's not always the same but it's really samey and it's not all that balanced like the end game always feels the same where i'm going against somebody in their super mega fort and i've got my selection of explosives and my assault rifles and trying to go against them and it's just feels really samey and i just kind of put up with it so i can rank up but if i could say that i think it's the best shooter i've ever played i wouldn't even consider it i played way better shooters than that (laughs) but paladins uh is a much more engaging team game. It is based off of pretty heavily on Overwatch. There's, If it's not based off Overwatch, it's based off the thing, same thing Overwatch is based off of. There's that influence from Team Fortress 2 in both of those games for certain. Uh, and just the way the team dynamics work and how there's only five characters on each side, but they're drawn from a pool of like 40-plus characters that really shakes up what you're doing and who you're fighting against in each match there's a lot more variety to be found in paladins but you can play fortnite in a solo queue which i really enjoy that's how i mostly play fortnite unless one of my friends is online then i'll play duos with them that's fine but in paladins there's only team matchups so you spend a lot of time standing around waiting for your party to fill and you know there's always those people playing online games who think it's hilarious to queue and then not actually join the game so you're waste everybody else's time and people in team games who are like oh i want to be the shooty man guy i don't want to be a support and nobody on the team wants to be a support so i end up being the support or nobody wants to be the tank and it's like well guys i can't be the tank and the support somebody needs to do it and they won't do it and then you get in the game and then you find out wow my guys don't even know how to shoot straight so you know <laughs> paladins is a really hit or miss experience but when it's good i have really enjoyed it it's pretty much the same way i feel about overwatch but i quit playing overwatch because unlocking things in it was just such a drip feed but the battle pass in paladins even though it just gives you currencies and loot boxes it goes at a much better pace it's much better about making you feel like you're making constant forward progress so i think paladins will keep me engaged a lot longer than overwatch did yeah i think as well it's um this sort of class-based shooter helps with people who might not be so great at shooters because i I always feel like there's a job you can do that's effective that's Mm -hmm. not just killing other people yeah it's just yeah i've been on the end of a few lobbies where people just are going for the shooty bang bang characters and ignoring the support or the healing and they're kind of essential yeah and then they spend the whole match spamming the i need healing emote and i have a question this is a legitimate question to every developer out there why does every one of these objective-based team shooters have an i need healing emote and there isn't a get back on the objective emote (laughs) yeah very true they can tell me how to do my job i can't tell them to do their job 
Come on, <laughs> get with it. Yeah, it's very true. There should be something at least for every character, like shoot all the people or <laughs> something like that. Uh, so yeah, pretty good. It's free to play, so you know, why not give it a go? It's worth a look. Uh, so let's move on. Uh, I've been playing Luminaires as I talked about earlier. Now my previous experience with Luminaires has been on the Vita version, which had like a, a raft of licensed tracks, like Chemical Brothers and things like that. You're not going to get that in the Switch version because it's the a remaster of the original Luminaires and it has completely original music, uh, which is also really good, to be fair. The main mode in it is the challenge mode and basically you have to get to level 100 and this is how you sort of unlock the songs now in this challenge mode specific stages are gated until you get to level 100 you can't just sort of jump in at a particular level like you can in the vita version it's i'm two ways on that it's easily the best mode and it's the closest thing to say like the old Tetris days when playing sat playing that for hours on the Game Boy, just trying to get this as high a score as possible. But I do wish there was a way to sort of checkpoint and jump in, like later on, even at like a a big score disadvantage or something. Uh, there are other modes though that you can play. There's like a, a puzzle mode where you can you have to sort of create a shape using one of the two colors as as an offset. So the first one is create a cross. It's pretty simple. The second one is to create like a, a dog shape and you get like really short time frames to try and get these pieces together. The other one is mission mode which has uh, certain conditions you have to clear like clear a board in one move, uh, make a column with nothing in it. Uh, they're, they're interesting ways to play the game using the same mechanics. The the one thing that I really want to complain about though is the challenge mode is I've had a lot of software crashes, which has sort of undone some of my progress. Uh, it's a really weird crash. Basically, I finish the level at my second attempt, like I, I get I lose, and then it comes up with a pop-up saying the the software's crashed, but the software doesn't actually take me back to the menu. I have to manually quit out. And then when I go back in, everything I'd sort of got to has gone. So I've <laughs> I've uh, got like further than I, than my current progress suggests, and I've just lost it because it keeps crashing on me. Um, but mechanically, it's it's brilliant. It's uh, I I'd say it's up there with Tetris. Like I consider Tetris as, to be like a perfect game, or as close to as you can get. This is really up there. I've I've spent quite a bit of time with it this this week. It's sort of like the perfect in-between game where you just, you know, I've got half an hour to kill. I don't want to play anything too heavy. And uh, yeah, really enjoying it. Um, have you played this at all before, Andrew, or have you taken a look at it? I'm only aware of its name and its reputation. I think it has something to do with lights. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's it's sort of um, it's it's like Tetris in that you you plant these blocks and you have to sort of clear them so how it does is you, if you create a block of four or more it disappears but it doesn't di- disappear instantly it has uh, like a, a beat counter that moves across the screen and it only clears as a, as the counter passes over so there's sort of like a rhythmic element to it it's not really a music game 
uh, but the music is important to it. So it's yeah, it's it's really cool. It's a good riff on that sort of Tetris formula and uh yeah really enjoying it so andrew you uh hinted that you were going to play it last week but you've been uh talking into sleep tight yeah sleep tight is a new tower defense game slash twin stick shooter on the eShop this week uh, i say tower defense slash twin stick shooter because you can play it really either way you want you basically start off in this empty room after picking one of a, a dozen small children and you're supposed to survive the night as your bedroom is invaded by monsters and you can either upgrade your toy guns or you can build a network of pillow forts backed up by turrets that fire like darts or uh little nerf little nerf darts at enemies uh just to survive the night and you can try to diversify i don't know how well that would really work i found that either going all in on the guns or all in on the tower defense stuff was really the best way to go and it basically is like a blank sandbox where what you're going to get out of it is depend upon how you play it. There's not really distinct modes, which several of the reviews I read of it did criticize it for that. But I found it perfectly engaging just for what it is. First few nights, you just have your gun and you just shoot enemies until you can build your resources up. Uh, every day you get a certain number of suns and you can spend those suns on upgrades and on building and researching things and when you kill monsters they drop stars and you accumulate more stars and you can actually save the stars from day to day but suns don't carry over so there's two different economies going on there you have to keep track of and you can actually upgrade your ability to get more stars every night so that way you can upgrade and research deeper into it it's a pretty cool upgrade system it's got a lot of depth to it and it's got a lot of variety in the order of things you can do and it opens up a lot of strategy from player to player and also depending upon the character you're playing as they have different strengths and weaknesses depending upon how you unlocked them and just what they're good at like all the characters i've unlocked so far have been pretty basic the first two characters you unlock just start with an extra gun so really there's no reason not to choose them over joe your starting character who uh really doesn't have anything going for him in terms of strengths or weaknesses (laughs) uh i've enjoyed it i've enjoyed my time with it i think once i unlock all the characters i don't know how long i'm going to stay with it but some of the higher end characters are pretty challenging to unlock so that would be something that would keep me coming back for a while my biggest complaint with the game is the characters' voices, which sounds like they actually did use child actors for the characters, so that's nice that they went to that extent, but I don't know if they recorded these characters on a really cheap microphone or if they just mixed the sound in very poorly, but it's terrible sound quality. It was almost shrill at times uh it almost hurt my ears to listen to it and like you know how i don't know if you know computer stuff but when you're recording something and it shows that little noise gate on it that goes from green to yellow to red and you you want to keep it between the green and the yellow most of the time because when you get it in the red that means that your sound is being distorted it sounds like these kids are being recorded in the red all the time but As annoying as it was, there actually is a slider in the options menu to reduce the character voices. I turned it down almost all the way, and I can still hear them just fine, and it actually improved the sound quality immensely. So, you know, it's annoying, but it's a problem that can actually be fixed. 
So sleep tight. Uh, I like twin stick shooters. I like tower defense games. This combines both of those concepts into one into like this big sandbox. And it's got this really delightful art style. It's very reminiscent of a Pixar film. I'm a fan. I enjoyed it. Nice. I, I looked at the uh, clip you sent me for the voice audio, and yeah, those uh, microphones clip quite heavily. Uh, it almost always sounds distorted. Yeah. Which is really, really weird. But It's really unfortunate, but it's like the only aspect of the game that I really felt negatively towards. And like I said, you can adjust that one specific section of the sound in the options menu just turn it down to like level one or level two of the max level and it sounds much better uh check that out if you're into uh, twin stick shooters and tower defense uh i think we should hear from uh Ginny now about uh, a game she's been playing called semblance a bit of a platformer so let's uh switch to her now so this was a game that i found out through on twitter so I didn't have my eye on it originally. It was like a total just sort of one-off sort of, I know this looks really cool kind of purchase. I had no intention of actually picking it up. Hadn't heard of it until the weekend it came out. And I saw it on Twitter and someone had said that this is the first game on a Nintendo console that comes out of Africa. And I thought, that is cool. So you know me, all about indies, supporting your local Australia, New Zealand indie developers, but also really really a fan of other countries that might not be part of the i guess triple a game industry cohort making it out as well so that really was what sold me um the game is incredibly cute which which obviously didn't hurt at all but what sold me was again the aesthetic and just how polished everything looked and the fact that the game was from africa so for those who are uninitiated to what semblance is it's a platformer I know the Switch has like a thousand platformers, and that's almost not an exaggeration. But this is a platformer whereby you have the ability to manipulate and change the shape of the platforms that you jump from. And I mean platforms, you know, walls, any surface that you can actually, that your avatar can touch, you can change in some way. Whether it's pushing it out, whether it's pulling it, whether it's, you know, breaking off past the terrain, there's a lot that your character can do. And the whole premise is that you're a tiny little blob um, trying to escape the world around you that's been poisoned. And because you can't really hit things or beat things or protect yourself, what you really have to concentrate on is getting around safely. And you do that by bouncing off platforms and by changing their shape where you make contact with them. And you use that ability to terraform different platforms to work your way across a rather dangerous landscape. So it's not like, I suppose, your standard platformer whereby a lot of the thinking comes down often to reaction times, to, you know, to knowing how to gain the frames and just to memorizing how levels work. This is all about what you can do with a living environment that fo- that acts more like an environmental puzzle. So think of Semblance less like a platformer and more like a puzzle game whereby you're given a blank canvas and you have to design a map that will get you from point A to point B safely. So I think once you kind of expand that train of thought, you actually click a lot more with the game. At first I was playing like a generic platformer and I wasn't doing so well, unex- you know, funnily enough. But once I start thinking about the game like a black canvas, 
and myself, I guess, as a level editor, it made a lot more sense mechanically to me. And of course, I mean, the game handles well on the Switch, as does every other platform that's been on the Switch. Um, I would say I found it quite tricky. I don't know if that was just because I'm incredibly uncoordinated sometimes, or the color schemes, while pretty, were just very stark and in some places not so good to look at. It's a purple and green combination, you know, do with that what you will. You may have some unfortunate Barney the Dinosaur memories, but that color scheme is not particularly distinguishable. Like, there's a lot of green, a lot of pink and purple kind of spread everywhere. We are trying to avoid toxic elements. It can be hard considering the screen bleed, but, I mean, that's also just a small concern, I believe. I didn't find myself put off at all by the aesthetic, but it is a concern for you, maybe. And I tried it briefly on handheld. It looks much better handheld than um, the kind of blown up. I played mostly blown up for comfort, but honestly, you would definitely want to play this on handheld because the graphics look very blurry when they're on the big screen, and it looks much more fine-tuned on the handheld. Um, but there's no drop in performance. Um, when I say blurry, um, I don't mean that it looks like the whole terrain is just completely mucked up, but you definitely notice some imperfections in the docked mode, so I would just keep that in mind if you're someone that wants to have hashtag maximum fidelity platforming in a game where you play a squishy blob. I'm not sure if you're in that cap, but if you are, you know, maybe that's important to you. Um, but premise-wise, kind of reminds me of Ori in the Blind Forest. You collect things and you kind of free the forest from this awful thing that's affecting it. So it treads a lot of familiar ground in the very sparse plot that it does provide. You know, it treads a lot of ground that's familiar in terms of the aesthetic. If you've played the game Loco Roco, where you kind of roll around as like a little ball, you might feel like this game echoes that slightly. Um, but either way, it's a really fun game. Um, it's a really good time. And I think it's, you know, it's it's a great game. It's a great first game to come from Africa to a Nintendo console because the way that it looks, honestly, I think people should just ask for more. And they and they, they will do. I know it's been a lot of good positive traction on Twitter and other places. It's reviewed well as well. So... I've got high hopes for it going forward in the consumer market, and I just think that it's a really fun game. If you, like me, have platform fatigue after pushing all the way through Celeste and all the other offerings on the Switch, this game really revitalizes your interest, well, it did for me anyway, and I really enjoy the the concept of it, platforming not just being about how high or how fast you can jump, but being able to design levels, in a sense, and having that freedom um, you have surprisingly more freedom than you expect when you undertake it in this game. So, highly recommend it. If you're a platform fan, you should check it out. Okay, I've been uh, fortunate enough to be able to play the Banner Saga 3 this week. So, this is the conclusion to a trilogy. Uh, it's a strategy RPG, uh, if you haven't been following this one. Uh, set in Norse mythology and... Basically, this is where you see how your previous decisions affect the game and the ending. Um, now, there was a point partway through where I didn't feel that my decisions in the previous games were affecting things as much as I predicted. Uh, there was a a big choice I made in Banner Saga 2 where I thought that it was really going to come back and, and bite me. And I'm not sure that it 
did in the specific way that I was thinking, but I I also think that it could have been written well enough that it wasn't apparent. I'd have to, you know, play the whole thing again to figure it out, and I'm probably not going to do that for a while. Um, but how it does affect your game is not in the ways that I I had really anticipated. So part of the gameplay is about managing your resources, the number of fighters you have, the number of clansmen you have, and I'm not going to spoil it, but there's a thing that happens in the Banner Saga 3 where all that stuff really counts. And, like, I really love the tension that created, but in a way, like, I kind of wish there was a way to know that that was going to be a thing. But I think it would be a lesser experience if they did give you that hint. Do you know what I mean? It's like mechanically, it's it can be frustrating, but in terms of the way the story unfolds and what happens, it's super satisfying and and really tense. And like it's it's a slow paced game, but I was just distraught the whole time in the final third of this. Uh, what I will say is I touched it on Banner Saga Two, which I felt was a lot easier than the first game. The second one, the Often you didn't have to win the fights, I found. Like, I, I lost probably roughly half of the fights in, in Banner Saga 2, and it, it was never a, an end state. It's, it carried on and let me go. There were some penalties, of course, for, for losing in some of these things, but sometimes it would just the story would just carry on. Uh, and I thought that was interesting, because the first one definitely sort of kicked you back out to reload your previous save if you lost... So that that was an interesting thing because even the big battle I lost and it still gave me an ending, whether it was as as good an ending as I would have got had I won. I'm not gonna know in, until more playthroughs. Uh, in terms of the writing, it's it's still really high quality as as much as I have liked the rest of the series so far. Uh, the there were a couple of moments where character change of heart seemed to come out of nowhere. But I, I definitely remember points in in both the first and second game that does help to contextualize character softening or or changes of their opinion. But uh, I'm not sure whether it was enforced enough. I feel like people might have forgotten certain elements of this and then suddenly find themselves surprised at uh, the way the stories go. The story goes in terms of who you're fighting and um you know what the real threat is. Uh, but I'm not going to talk, talk much more about it I don't want to spoil it because if you're into the series and you've played one or two you're going to want to play three with as fresh as possible really so uh, yeah check that out if you've enjoyed the previous games uh, Ginny's also been playing it so let's hear from her about what she thought of it as Ernie has already said he's been playing a lot of Banner Saga 3 and I know that he's already played the other two so Andy and I are actually going to have, I think, a very similar perspective in terms of being series veterans. So if you're someone that's new to the Banner Saga franchise and you want to actually pick it up, I'm sure you would have heard this before many, many times, or just if you've asked around, Banner Saga 3 is not the place for you to start. So when we think about, I guess, the Banner Saga game as a trilogy, the series as a trilogy, these are all very clearly defined, very separate story arcs. 
yes, the game gives you a tutorial and gives you like the option to figure out what happened previously, but a lot of the meaningful decision making is going to be lost on you. Like you're not going to have the same kind of background with the characters that other people that experience the franchise fully have. Now, I don't want this to put you off. Like if if you feel like you can happy to jump in with not a lot of context, that's fine because I don't think it makes the game not emotionally powerful. Like let's be clear, like the baseline with this game is incredibly emotionally powerful. Playing the games before will just amplify that. Like this is a saga for me that has been very very satisfying in terms of storytelling um and in terms of just how the saga has improved throughout the years like each title has built upon its previous combat deficiencies to bring something new yes it may still be a little bit repetitive on the combat sense but narrative wise it's still probably one of the most interesting experiences i've had in a long time so and you'll probably kind of have briefly talked about what happens with the setting and sort of where you get plopped into and different warring considerations. But I think for me, what is the key concern and the key conceit of Banner Saga 3 is is these condensed, very minute, very intense interpersonal relationships. So in previous games, you know, or maybe even in other RPGs, when you make decisions a lot of the time, you make decisions for you know, the the greater good for the city you're protecting, for the party that you're protecting, for the NPC's quest that you're doing. You know, you often feel well equipped to make these decisions because you've had some exposition explained to you, you know, you've got time to make this decision. Even if you're in a life and death Final Fantasy fighting a primal type situation, there is always a choice, always a build-up. With Banner Saga 3, what becomes incredibly central to a good playthrough, or I guess a competent playthrough, is the ability to make decisions on the fly and to actually live with them, to not go back and think, oh no, like I made a bad decision. There are no real bad decisions. Like, let me just make that clear. There are different endings, and how bad the endings are is really up to your own attachment and interpretation of the characters. You can do badly in combat, and yes, that can derail the rest of your progress. But in terms of like narrative decision making, it's all about what you feel is right on the fly. We've mentioned this before in our past talkthroughs about this game, and also in my own personal tweets about the game, or the past two Banda Saga games, and my reviews on them. It's just, this game has such a microscopic focus on interpersonal relationships and decision making in the heat of the moment that often you don't really see the consequences till too late. You don't see them till, you know, maybe two eggs down the line when someone in your party drops dead or something is stolen or some kind of conflict is started because you didn't handle something adequately two hours before. Now think about that concept and just amplify it because that's what happens with Banner Saga 3, right? Is you get the decisions from 1 and 2 that you thought maybe were landmark decisions or things that you thought about and discussed on the fly and thought, you know what? I'm happy with this choice in the moment right now. Two games later, the choice comes back to affect you in some way. And it's really, I think, a masterpiece of storytelling to have all these threads tied together so cohesively. Now, when I say cohesive, I don't necessarily mean that the ending is a positive ending. The endings may not be Sunshine and Rainbow's endings. They might not even be, you know, the deepest, darkest depths of despair endings. Like, let's try and do away with the idea of a good or a bad or a positive or a negative ending based on, 
I guess, your preconceptions because really Banner Saga is so much about controlling different characters that the outcome that might not feel right for you as a player might actually have been the only real good or the less lethal outcome for some of the people that you are actually making decisions for. Like, Banner Saga just so much with its ensemble cast, somehow centralizing all your decisions into into one mechanism and dealing with all these competing concerns. And the fact that it does that without railroading you or without pigeonholing you is, is pretty fascinating. Apart from that, I mean, another thing that I found really interesting about Banner Saga was the combat. Um, I've said this before, it's not rocket science. I think I was not that happy about the combat in two in terms of what it offered and three i will i will say this while there is combat variety it is only to an extent really all the new enemies have to do is make the game's combat elements more difficult for those that are not playing it for the combat this will get inordinately tedious as someone who likes fighting things who likes stomping on things who likes crushing things who fancies himself you know Alright, strategy games. The the fact that the game adds new effects in battle that debuff you and buff enemies mean that once you get into a losing match, it can very easily become a losing streak. And the game system whereby, you know, you take a day off or a couple of days to rest and heal up, that is not as forgiving here. I know we mentioned in the last time we talked about the Banner Saga game, Maybe it was Banner Saga 1 where Andrew was saying that he felt like his guys were too weak after fighting and that he would just kind of go into fights without having them fully healed up. And we said, oh, actually, you know, you can actually heal between fights by resting. Or use up a whole day and some rations, but you can do that. Banner Saga 3 being the definitive end of the trilogy has you on a very, very short clock. So you don't actually feel comfortable taking those extra days to rest. So that can lead, like I said, to a losing fight becoming a losing streak. And then in some cases, when you're limping to the finish line with, I don't know, two party members that are in fighting shape, then you're having to go through, and I, I, would, I would recommend this, you're having to go through, go back to your last com- your last good save, I suppose, and try and hash out all over again, because there's no way you'll actually cure it with the piecemeal group. So... If you're someone that thinks that the narrative is more important than the combat, which is the camp that I'm in, you know, don't feel like you need to play through the game on a higher difficulty, like take it down to easy, you know, like make this enjoyable for yourself because the combat is fun, but it is very repetitive. The enemy types only change so much. And I mean, the beauty of Banner Saga is not in smashing things with a giant shield, even though that's pretty satisfying as well. It's really all in the storytelling. Ready, go! So now it's time for our Super Smash Brothers for Nintendo Switch predictions. Uh, mine this week is that there'll be some sort of play on the Doom Guy colour scheme as an alternative costume for Samus. Nintendo and Bethesda seem to have quite a tight relationship at the moment, or maybe... The Doom Guy model could be like the alternate version for Samus, maybe in the same way that uh, you know Daisy's coming in as an alternative to Peach. I think we're gonna have another Capcom fighter, probably coming later on as DLC. Maybe something from Monster Hunter World or the Monster Hunter series in general, like a one of those 
cat things as a support trophy. I've never played Monster Hunter. I don't know what they're called. I just know I just know they're <laughs> Pelicos. Yeah. I think they're Pelicos. Pelicos, yeah. The little cat moogle things, yeah. I think we'll probably see something along those lines. Just more Capcom content, I think. We'll see. I think that's a safe bet with Street Fighter and Mega Man already represented. Yeah, and, yeah, and Monster check. Hunter is their new big thing, so Of course. And they're doing crossovers with heaps of companies with Monster Hunter. So once again, I've got my my Switch predictions for Smash Brothers. I am running so dry on these. I, everyone has like, great ideas of what predictions are going to actually come out on the Switch. Mine, not so much, but I locked this one in early. Um, I think that Solaire from Dark Souls is going to be a playable character. Um, I know Andy had mentioned Dark Souls content previously already, but I'm going to be specific and say that you're going to be able to play him. I mean, I think it makes sense. Dark Souls and Switch is basically like a landmark slash flagship release. Everyone's going to go nuts for it. They had that figurine that was sold with a pre-order that was sold out like hotcakes. You know, this is clearly a franchise that people want and it makes commercial sense with that tie-in. I mean, we've got Snake, we've got Cloud, we've got God knows other sorts of wacky crossover characters this is one that i think would actually add to the smash meta could be interesting because first of all what would he play like in the game would you want to incorporate things from dark souls like dodge rolling would you would you want to incorporate a dark souls type level you know i think that i think him as a player kind of would be the most face time for the game itself it would kind of make the most sense he'd be the unofficial dark souls mascot in smash which is kind of really about mascots fighting i reckon but i don't know that's what i think um not the most out there prediction i've made i think it would be pretty realistic to have him in there but i guess we'll have to wait and see so what are you planning on playing this week andrew uh pc classic console port titan quest is coming to the switch in the coming week uh i'm supposed to be getting a copy delivered on the second so i'll have played that some come our next recording date and if not i'll play something else cool for me it's uh back to octopath now that i've had my little banner saga uh diversion completed uh and after that i'm i'm sort of looking at my backlog uh i've got some probably some time off coming up for the some minor surgery so maybe clear through some of that start planning that out uh, and we've got here that Jinhee's going back to Octopath 2. She's got must finish. That's going to take her a while from the things I'm hearing. But <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Yeah, we had somebody in our Discord channel said that a friend of his took 90 hours to finish Octopath Traveler. Mm. So I think all three of us still have quite a ways to go on that. Yeah, I've only just finished the chapter ones and I'm about to start Ulbricht's chapter two. Yeah, so. I need to get finished on my last two chapter ones. So uh, once I get into it, I'll get into it. I've just dividing my attention too much right now and that's it for episode 42 thank you for listening to this episode of the switch focus podcast if you enjoyed this episode please leave us a review on itunes it really helps us to get noticed you can also listen and subscribe on stitcher tune in and other podcast services be sure to join in our discord server to interact with the lively switch focus community links are in the show notes Follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at switchfocuspodcast.com for updates, news, and other content. Uh, if you would like to support the show, you can buy us a coffee. The details are on our website. Thanks in advance. 
If you'd like to follow the regular Switch Focus podcast panelists individually on Twitter, you can do. I'm at Flame Roast Toast. Andrew is at Play Critically. He also streams at twitch.tv forward slash Play Critically. And Ginny is at Ginny Woes. squeak head <laughs> was chewing on one of the buttons on my pants and i tried to pick her up so she would stop and she just kept chewing on it as i lifted her away <laughs> <laughs>